The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So I want to spend today um, talking about the third set of four instructions. We I spoke about that maybe two weeks ago. These are instructions 9, 10, and 11, and 12. And you might have seen I put in the chat um, the um, instructions, the link if you want to get the instructions. And if you came in late, I'll repost that. Um, yeah, I don't know if that doesn't look like that link is live. But it is in the um, weekly email and on the blog. Uh, the resources and some of the things I'll quote from today are there in case you want to read more. So it's really about understanding the nature of the mind. And this is a big deal, as you know, not just in early Buddhism, but in all the different schools of Buddhism. Um, this is has a central place in the path of awakening. Basically, we're using the knowing mind to get to know the knowing mind. So it can feel a little awkward because normally the knowing mind is going out at what we call the external world, right? You out there and the experiences out there. But to get interested, now the first thing we discover is turning the awareness inward toward the knowing is, it's a refined experience. So this is another problem because we're, you know, the mind is in the habit of paying attention to things that are relatively gross and obvious and ignoring what's subtle. One of our early teachers we invited to Minnesota to, to teach in our Vipassana community here was Shinzen Young. He's still quite active. I think he's now living in Vermont um, but and has quite a large online um, community. But he used to say a lot in those early years, um, subtle is significant. And that's just a general useful principle in our practice. Oh yeah, what is subtle is significant. So oftentimes it's like peeling back the layers. What the mind is going to know in any experience in the beginning is what's obvious, what's gross. And the question is, can we have curiosity any moment of our life about well, what's behind that gross thing that the mind is already knowing? What else can be known? What else is here but is relatively subtle that I'm not inclined to notice? There's an old story some of you might have heard um, in the Sufi tradition in Islam, a really beautiful spiritual tradition, and um, there's a sort of somebody known for their uh, humor and sort of, uh, I guess, what do you call it, um, crazy wisdom. Sometimes people refer to, you see this in all kind of spiritual traditions, there's always an element of crazy wisdom. So Nasiruddin sort of represents that in Sufism. And... Uh, one, you know, and these are just stories. Um, one time he was searching under uh, like a lamp out in a city 
looking, looking, and eventually the neighbors came out and started looking. He had lost a jewel, and they were all helping him look. And finally, after some time, everyone looking, they asked, so where exactly did you notice that you lost the jewel? And he pointed off into the woods, you know. And said, why are we looking here? Well, there's a light here. And this is kind of the craziness of our spiritual lives. We sort of work in places where we're comfortable working, doing the work, and avoid working in places that aren't so comfortable working. And this is just another example, like this third set of instructions we're getting from the Buddha to know the mind, to gladden it, to concentrate it, and to liberate it. So these are instructions 9, 10, 11, and 12. We've already made peace with the activity of the body. That's the first four instructions. We made peace with the activity of the mind. That's the second set of four instructions. Now, these last few weeks, we've been talking about the third set of four instructions where we're getting to know and learning to trust the space of the knowing mind, which, as I said in the guided instructions, really is the space of the present moment. Like, let's just check it out right now, right? Because it's always here, but we're not inclined to recognize something so obvious, right? So obvious that we're oblivious to it. Like, right here, right now, this is the space of the mind. The space of the knowing mind, the space of the present moment. And everything we're knowing, what we might call our external experience, that's an aspect of the space of the mind. That's an activity in the space of the mind. See, the thing is, we mostly interpret our experience according to our concepts. But what Buddhism, the Buddhist training, is really all about is to see things as they are. And all of us right now, we're having a subjective experience. And that's all we've ever had, is this subjective experience of what is arising in the space of the knowing mind. That's always the way it's been. Now, there may be an external world, but what we know is the space of the knowing mind and what arises and passes away in that space, like a sound or a sight or a thought or an emotion or a sensation. That's what we know. The space and the activity coming and going in that space. I told you it was subtle. <laughs> and it's really like, well, no, there's a table here and it's hard. And that's being known where? Here and now in the space of the mind. No, 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 it's really a table. So that certainty is just something coming and going in the space of the mind. It's always been that way. This is from one of my teachers, Saida Utejaniya. To be reminded of our awakened nature is the very heart of practice. And, you know, we need suitable conditions to do the subtle work, which is why, you know, the first two sets of instructions is just about, okay, let's make peace with the reality of body. <laughs> let's make peace with the reality of the activity, the conditioned activity of our heart and mind. And that puts us in a pretty settled place. 
right? Because we've already contemplated joy and ease. We've contemplated the activity of the mind from a place of dispassion. We noticed that thinking mind starting to quiet down. Well, from that relatively settled place, it's a lot easier to recognize, oh, there is this space. And in this space of the present moment, here and now, knowing mind, things come and go. And instead of the habit of attending to what's coming and going, maybe I'll train my mind to keep intuiting, sensing the space of here and now in which the activity, like a thought, come and go. You see where I'm pointing with these instructions? So please just, even as I'm talking, just experiment with your own reality, you know, your mind, your heart. One of the great uh, teachers in the Thai forest tradition, watch the mind right at the mind. Don't send the mind outside. So that first instruction, this is instruction um, number nine, one trains oneself while breathing in, experiencing the mind. One trains oneself while breathing out, experiencing the mind. So really work with this all day long, not just in your sits, just like I did, you know, I prompted us all just a few minutes ago. Okay, can you, and right now, any moment, any moment will do, because we're, it's like that is the, the basic ingredient of what it is to be a human being is this space. It just goes unrecognized because it's subtle. But it's always here and now. It's always available. Now, I've talked a lot over these weeks. We've been doing the Buddhist uh, 16 instructions on mindfulness of breathing uh, of this wonderful chapter from Ajahn Sumedho's book, now is the knowing. And that title of the book, Now is the Knowing, is perfect for this set of four instructions. Because now is in fact the knowing. <laughs> knowing, now, space of the mind, they're all words that point to something that's here and now. That we can learn to intuit and eventually learn to appreciate and learn to get very, like really sense the peacefulness because the space of the mind remains unstained. I think it's in one of Sharon Salzberg's book where she says, you know, if you take a can of paint and you throw it in the space of the room, the space of the room doesn't get stained by the paint. The floor might, the walls might, but the space of the room remains unstained. And this is something, you know, it's a really nice simile pointing or describing the nature of the space of the knowing mind. So this is from Ajahn Sumedho's chapter in that book, Now is the Knowing, the chapter on Anapanasati, which just means mindfulness of the in and out breath. That's the title of that discourse where the Buddha gave a very complete set of meditation instructions. And in there, near the end of the chapter, he writes, We don't seek perfection in any part of the cycle, but we see that perfection lies in the whole cycle. It includes old age, sickness, and death. What arises in the uncreated 
reaches its peak and then returns to the uncreated. And that is perfection. So what he's saying in this little piece here is, you know, when we more and more can trust and abide and appreciate and quiet the space of the mind, right, then all the activity of the body and mind, all the activity of the world, the sort of what we call the ordinary world of causes and conditions, stuff happening, we see it in its totality. And in that sense, it's perfect and beautiful. Any one thing may not be perfect at all. Like if we highlight racial injustice, well, that's not perfect, that's not okay. Or we highlight sexism, or we highlight somebody with a lot of pain, or we our own pain, well, that's not okay. But from the space of the present moment, the space of the mind, and the totality in that space of everything coming and going, everything included, then there's something very peaceful. And, you know, if you're okay with me using the word okay about it, there's something okay about it. And this isn't philosophy or like a metaphysical truth. This is something we directly experience in our lives. When we, by being aware of the space of the present moment, we it transforms how the mind relates to the activity of the present moment. That's why this is a path of awakening. It's not about like, oh yeah, the space of the mind, the nature of the mind, that's like God. And when I know that, then I have a relationship with God and then, you know, I'll be free or something like that. We're just finding our way to unhook from a limit, limited ways of understanding what it is to be a human being. We have to unhook, we have to abandon. The only thing we have to abandon is what in Buddhism we call wrong view, or limited ways of understanding, or self-view, self-centered ways of thinking. That has to be abandoned. Whatever remains when the mind has abandoned all the roots, all the habits of self-centered thinking, that the actual experience of that is it's all okay or you know it's a little bit of a provocative term it's perfect but there's a peace and a freedom and it doesn't get in the way of this more relative ordinary i've got to take out the trash i want to do something about this suffering in the world this has to be fixed over here all that remains, but none of it is a personal problem in the sense of creating actual weight in my heart, tightness in my heart. And that is the freedom the Buddha's teachings point to. Let me read a little bit more from this last part of Ajahn Sumedho's chapter. And this is one of the uh, things that are linked to in those resources that you can get a hold of. He writes, as we start to see all sankharas, that all sankharas, sankharas sometimes gets translated as intentions, but more generally it's like mental activity, mental formations. As we start to see that all sankharas have this pattern of arising and passing away, we begin to go inwards to the unconditioned, the peace of the mind, its silence. 
we begin to experience sunata, or emptiness, which is not oblivion or nothingness, but is a clear and vibrant stillness. We can actually turn to the emptiness rather than to the conditions of the breath and mind. Then we have a perspective on the conditions and don't just blindly react to them anymore. There is the conditioned, the unconditioned, and the knowing. What is the knowing? Is it memory? Is it consciousness? Is it me? I've never been able to find out, but I can be aware. In Buddhist meditation, we stay with the knowing, being aware, being awake, being Buddha in the present, knowing that whatever arises and passes away, knowing that whatever arises and passes away and is not self. We apply this knowing to everything, both the conditioned and the unconditioned. It is transcending, being awake rather than trying to escape. And it is all in the ordinary. We have the four normal postures of sitting, standing, walking, and lying down. We don't have to stand on our heads or do backflips or anything. We use four normal postures and the ordinary breathing because we are moving towards that which is most ordinary, the unconditioned. Conditions are extraordinary, but the peace of the mind, the unconditioned, is so ordinary that nobody ever notices it. It is there all the time, but we don't ever notice it because we're attached to the mysterious and the fascinating. We get caught up in the things that arise and pass away, right? The activity of the mind and body. We get caught up in the things that arise and pass away, the things that stimulate and depress. We get caught up in the ways things seem to be and forget. But now we're going back to that source in meditation, to the peace, in that position of knowing. Then the world is understood for what it is and we are no longer deluded by it. I think that's just a real beautiful summary of this third set of four instructions. Knowing the mind, gladdening, appreciating the space of the mind, quieting, concentrating, stilling that space, liberating that space. Liberating the space isn't something you do, it's something the mind realizes. And I'll get to that um, hopefully today. Yeah, there's something unmoving, something here and now that's unmoving, that's still like space, like knowing. These are words that can get us close. The uh, <clears throat> main person in the Thai forest tradition, sort of a very revered Buddhist saint from the 1900s, Ajahn Mun, um, and he was the teacher of Ajahn Chah, who was the teacher of many Westerners, including people like Jack Kornfield and um, Ajahn Sumedho, who I was just reading from. He wrote, or he said, we can notice the distinction between consciousness and all the transient states and experiences that arise and pass away within it. When we do not understand this point, we take each of the passing states to be real. But when changing conditions such as happiness and unhappiness are seen for what they are, 
we find the way to peace. If you can rest in the knowing, the pure consciousness, there's not much more to do. Yeah, there's something that, it isn't the end of practice. We'll talk more in the weeks ahead when we go to the fourth set of four instructions. But it's a powerful step in understanding the freedom that's available by learning to keep in mind the space of the mind and really abide. And the real test to that is experience is still going to come and go. Pain and pain in the knees, a disturbing memory, a, a thought, that provocative thought, even the thought, hey, I'm really getting this, right? And some excitement. The key to really doing this third set of four instructions is to trust the knowing regardless of what comes and goes in that space. And we'll be tested. It's a little bit, if you've studied any of the Tibetan Buddhist teachings on the bardo, um, some of you might recognize that term. In some ways it refers to that time after the body dies and the mind, the activity of the mind and the mind stream, let's call it, is now untethered to the physical body in this sort of earthy life. And it's like, in a way, a dream world, because whatever the mind imagines untethered to physical reality is the only reality. And the mind might imagine demons, or it might imagine the Buddha, or God, or whatever, but we're learning that all these imaginings, all these thoughts, imaginings, they're just thoughts and imaginings, and the mind can rest in the space, not get pushed around by what comes and goes, the thoughts that come and go. That's just a thought, but really, no matter how beautiful the thought or how horrendous the thought, but rest back in the knowing. We take each of the passing states to be real, but when changing conditions such as happiness and unhappiness are seen for what they are, we find the way to peace. If you can rest in the knowing, the pure consciousness, there's not much more to do. Now, I think this little statement from Ajahn Man has a lot to do with that second instruction. So the first one is breathing in, experiencing the knowing mind. Breathing out, experiencing the mind, space of the mind. The next one is gladdening the mind as you breathe in and out. That's sort of weird. Like, what, is, what does the Buddha mean by gladdening? Sometimes I use the word appreciating the space of the mind. But it, I think my sense of it from my own practice is we want to appreciate and uh, gladden and, uh, yeah, it's appropriate to um, be touched by that intuition of freedom, that sense that oh, I found a path that seems very trustworthy. Like as I'm getting to know the space of the present moment, I'm sensing that this is what the heart has been looking for for a long, long time. We're not in that full experience of freedom, but there's some sense that, oh, I think this is a good thing to be aware of. It's a good thing to keep in mind. That's the gladdening part, right? So as we 
recognize the space of the mind, then the next step is to recognize this is a really good thing to be recognizing. I'm really happy to be recognizing the space of the mind. And that's the gladdening, the brightening, like I'm all in. The mind, the heart is all in. Not that we figured it out, not that we know how to rest yet to concentrate and liberate the mind, the next two steps. But we know we're in the vicinity of something significant. And that's the gladdening. And we're really, you, we need that energy because that energy of gladdening helps the heart to be all in. And the more the heart is all in, the less it's going to be swept away because we have deep grooves to think that I have to attend to the next experience that's arising, the next emotion, the next thought, the next memory, the next sensation in the body, the next sound in the room. But to do these set, this uh, set of four instructions, knowing the mind, gladdening the mind, stilling the mind, concentrating the mind, liberating the mind, I really have to let go of the activity of sense experience and really resting more and more in the space. So the activity of the body, the ordinary activity of the body and the mind, we're, we're letting it happen. We're not attending, we're not stopping it, but we're not really giving it any energy. And that gladdening is really what uh, creates the confidence, the faith, to just be aware to just abide and rest and trust the space of the mind. And then that's what allows for the quieting of the mind, which is that third instruction there. One trains oneself while breathing in, concentrating the mind, or stilling, quieting the mind. Because we're more and more taking the attention away from any activity including the activity like, oh, this is great, what's happening to me, right? That's a, that's a thought too, right? So we're teasing out, we're letting those thoughts just be what they are and more and more resting in the space of awareness. Saida Utejaniya writes, every experience, whether good or bad, gives you a learning opportunity to notice whether the mind accepts things the way they are or whether it likes, dislikes, reacts, or judges. So that's the real test there with that third instruction of concentrating the mind. Stuff is going to, sometimes provocative stuff, is going to arise in the space of the mind. And are we going to take the bait? Well, a lot of times we do take the bait. And we think like, oh, i got to get rid of this thought before I can rest in the space of the present moment. But we don't, because that thought's going to go away on its own. That painful emotion will be revealed as something that naturally comes and goes. I don't have to be the practitioner that makes stuff go away. Now, we might have needed that sort of more parental approach earlier, but in this place in practice, we're just trusting that all the defilements, all the thoughts, sensations, sounds, whatever, will express their nature. They'll arise and they will pass away. And nobody, no practitioner, needs to make stuff go away. So that that's a real trusting in not being the meditator. And the problem here is 
we think we got to be a meditator. So that's a lot what we're learning in this third set of instructions is how more and more to be the one who trusts the nature of the mind and less and less the meditator. And the more we're in the habit of being the meditator, the more learning we have in this third set of four instructions. And it can take years, decades, but it doesn't matter because it's good work. It will take as long as it takes. Eventually, in that very quiet space of knowing, that empty of self-centered grasping, because the mind isn't taking the activity of the mind, the activity of the body personally, it's more trusting the space, so things are quieting. Even the most subtle kinds of thinking like, I'm the person, I'm the formally... <laughs> The person formerly known as being tight, right, having released the tightness, having released my identification with thoughts, feelings, sounds, sensations, and now experiencing the peace of non-grasping. So even that thought can't be held, can't be identified with. And when all selfing is released, no self-centered thinking with identification is there, then what's realized is the mind that is free of grasping, of self-centered grasping. And that's, you know, initially, of course, a new experience. It's a life-changing experience because, generally speaking, the mind streams that are streaming right now for all of us don't know that experience of the mind free of self-centered grasping. Everything we've ever experienced has been framed in terms of a self having that experience because it's a very deep habit, selfiness. So that's the fourth instruction in these uh, four instructions here. Experiencing the mind, gladdening the mind, concentrating the mind in that stillness, in that vastness, in that quiet, then the mind realizes something about that space. There's no self-centered grasping. And it understands that experience as a, in a way that changes how the mind going forward relates to sense experience. Right? Because now, even though that habit of taking things personally may still be there, but now that habit of selfing is seen as something extra. It's there because it's a habit, not because it's me. It's hard to put into words, but I just want to kind of, at least on an intellectual level, kind of give you a sense of what happens with those four sets of instructions. So let me just read one more thing before we end. This is from Saida Utejani again in his book, which you can download online, Dhamma Everywhere. And if you look up Saida Utejaniya, I think .org, um, he has all uh, several of his books uh, for free download in case you want to get them. And this is the book Dhamma Everywhere. Because the mind is covered by the defilements, self-centered activity, we are unable to see Dhamma, the way it is, or to understand nature as it is. 
Whatever is happening in the present moment is nature, is dhamma. Even defilements become dhamma, become nature. Nature is arising, knowing is arising, awareness is arising, object in mind, object in mind. In nature, there is nobody there. Nature is not us, not them, not other. Nature is just nature. Dhamma is ever-present, and there is Dhamma talk, a Dharma talk everywhere. Nature is always teaching us Dhamma, but we are unable to hear. If we can see nature as it really is, the mind is free. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.